You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. I think I was in personal development before I knew I was in personal development. (laughs) You know, when you're a little kid and you're trying to figure out your way, how to deal with your emotions, those dreams at night where you wake up. I have ground my teeth. I was had so much stress as a kid. And like at school, I used to get so embarrassed to lift my hands off the desk because there'd be little pools of sweat Mm. on the desk because I was always so tense and nervous and just taxed. And fortunately, my mom led me to martial arts and I felt like that would be the beginning of me being able to master those fears, that self-consciousness, that internal angst. And so the personal development journey really started there in pain, in discomfort. And then you start reading the books mm-hmm. and you start finding out, well, this is normal. You're not alone. Everybody goes through this stuff. It's the human condition. And you start uh, finding tools and the right teachers and books. I was geeking out on this stuff in my early teens, you know, the greats like Earl Nightingale and Napoleon Hill, and then more of our contemporary authors of studying Wayne Dyer, such a beautiful teacher, mm-hmm. Louise Hay. Oh man, that crack thing's open. All of a sudden now I'm, I'm hearing about the power of love. I always thought love was weak. Mm-hmm. I love you, so sweet. And she's mm-hmm. talking about the power of love to heal yourself. And as a kid, my body started to have problems. It's called psychosoma, right? I understand now mind-body psychosoma. I was having the sweaty palms was a psychosoma situation, the grinding of my teeth at night, that internal stress that was psychosomatic. And I started to notice aches and pains in my body. And I thought it was from my physical training, martial arts. And it turned out it was the internal stress that I was keeping inside. And I think I know now why I started martial arts is trying to feel some control over those emotions. So that personal development journey started early on. And um, yeah, but it started to shape uh, a clear path. I got my black belt, Mm -hmm. (laughs) worked my butt off for that. Chuck Mm -hmm. Norris karate, an amazing Mm -hmm. sensei. And after I got the black belt, I thought for sure that the fear would go away. The sweaty palms would stop, but it didn't. And I went to my sensei and I said, sir, I'm still afraid. That was unacceptable to him. Mm -hmm. You're not afraid. You're one of my toughest black belts. Just keep training. Yes, sir. You keep training, right? We keep working from outside in. Didn't change. I got tougher and tougher and more stoic and more suppressed. I was learning about personal development. I didn't know how to integrate it. The turning piece for me was I met a beautiful mentor. He was an herbologist, a teacher. And he said, uh, and he was also a martial artist, and he started coaching me. And he said, Tristan, you're going about this the wrong way. You're fighting all these external things. You're a great martial artist fighter, but the real battle lies within. You got to go inside and you got to release this stuff. You need to learn to meditate. And he had been a disciple of a guru, Bhagwan Rajneesh Osho. And so he taught me how to meditate. That's when things started to get real. That's mm-hmm. when it started to unwind 
that stuff. How long ago was this that we are talking about? I got my black belt in 87. 87, 97? 87. 87. Yeah. I've been training in martial arts for like 40 years now. I'm 55 now. Yeah, so 88, right after I got my black belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And meditation really kicked in in 89. That's when I met my wife, mm-hmm. Sabrina, today, back in 89. We were both seeking for that internal resolution. She had a lot of angst. She was an actress in Hollywood. And we both had all this internal pressure trying to, you know, show up in life. Mm-hmm. But we both were seekers, spiritual seekers. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that's what we were, but we were looking for a way out. Mm-hmm. And meditation was the door. And from there, you opened your own dojo, right? You started teaching people how to master. In the park. Yeah. One-to-one. Okay. One-to-one. One-to-one coaching (laughs) in the park. Yeah, my sensei said, go and teach with his blessing. He said, you know, see, the thing about a black belt, they always tell you this, like, oh, good job. You've mastered the basics. Mm -hmm. You know, that first certification, you've mastered the basics. Now go teach. That's how you start to own it, right? You got to give back. I think there's an important nugget here to kind of realize for somebody who may be getting their first black belt or their white belt or however you want to call it, is the path to say, yes, you've understood the principles in a dojo while somebody else was watching you. Mm -hmm. But then you said the real way, your your sensei said something to the tune of of what I understand is the path to real mastery is for you to actually go and teach. Start teaching. Yeah. It's the law of give and receive. It's the the yin and the yang. You've been given so much. You've learned so much, but it's one directional. Mm-hmm. And you don't yet know how to coach. You could be a really good artist, like in martial arts, for example. You could be great at sparring and fighting, but that doesn't make you a coach. There's a whole other skill set there. He didn't really teach me that. He's like, go and teach. Good luck. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you have to figure that out on the way unless you're lucky enough to have someone who understands the principles of coaching and the mastery concepts of coaching. I was emulating what I saw him do and I figured out a lot of stuff on my own. But it was in the teaching and working with the students and learning how to articulate, how to demonstrate verbally, visually, you know, kinetically through touch if you could in those conditions. And it was only then that I started to really gain what I'll call mastery was because you have to look at it through both lenses, the student and the teacher. And, you know, if you study things like the learning pyramid, you know, retention levels are very low when it's just you learning. But when you start teaching, retention levels go way up. So Mm -hmm. I started to get a lot better at my skill just through teaching. So let's talk more about that. The reason why I'm saying that is because a lot of our listeners tend to be coaches. They yeah. tend to be individuals that are interested in coaching or they are coaches and they tend to be global as well. And sometimes the resistance to a person like that may be where they go, well, I need to learn more, learn more, learn more, learn before I can start teaching. Yeah. And I love that you touched on the law of give and receive. Yeah. Is Do you feel there is a contradiction to that law when somebody says, oh, I got to learn more, learn more, learn more, and they're just taking all this information but never really giving that information away that they may be in conflict with the law itself of creating? It might not sound very nice, but I think it's selfish. Mm. Because if you breathe in and you breathe in, try it. Breathe in again. At some point, you better (laughs) breathe out. You're breaking the law. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting your own growth. You're stuffing yourself with way too much freaking knowledge. 
You're going to get analysis paralysis. You're going to have this idea inside that's going to, it's like grapes that die on the vine. You got to get out there. You got to start giving back and let that in and out. This is the law of the universe, right? Look at the ocean. The waves come in, the waves go out. The belly breathes in, the belly breathes out. It's give and receive. It's a law. Don't break the law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is there more to that? Like in the sense of, is there something that you've observed in the world as, of course, you know, breathing laws and so forth, but have you observed in stories of your clients, maybe your stories, where once they start the act of giving, receiving becomes easier? Yes, because the moment they do that, they unbottle blocked energy. The moment they flip from that state that we're talking about, internalizing and gaining and knowledge and knowledge, which is at the end of the day, if you unpack that, there's fear there, right? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. And gosh darn it, people don't like me, (laughs) (laughs) right? There's this overcompensation and you got to look at that. Like, what is that in you that's trying to get all your dots perfectly lined up and your ducks in a row? It's just never going to happen. But you're missing the secret sauce, of the yin and the yang, the give and the receive. As soon as you start to give and you start that breathing uh, mechanic, if you will, in your life, you start to get more. And it's a cycle. So as coaches, when we serve another, who's really getting served at the end of the day? I mean, it's totally, you know, win-win. You're being up-leveled, they're being up-leveled. It's the law of the universe. So I would say the sooner you... I think in good coaching schools, you start doing that with pods. You start working with your fellow brothers and sisters on coaching principles. You have to start that. Um, my sensei started it with me at halfway to Black Belt at mm. Green Belt. He said, go over there and teach the basics of this kata, this sequence to the new students. Mm. He already knew I needed to be doing that. Mm. Yeah. There's power in teaching. It builds a different sense of understanding. There's a scientist, I, I can't recall the name right now. And then he's, he was supposed and is suggested to be one of the most loved scientists of the time. And the reason was because he would make things simple. And his logic was, if as a scientist, you only can do experiments, your science is inaccessible. It's not understood by somebody and hence science is meaningless if it's not understood because then you just debate everything that science even says because you just don't understand the science. But if you can make it understandable, if you can make it approachable, firstly, you have a better understanding of it And secondly, it is the greatest service you can do to society because as science is understood better Mm. and like spirituality is understood better or psychology is understood better, you have more awareness towards it. And so you can actually utilize in living a more expanded life. Beautiful. How have you changed becoming a coach, becoming a teacher? How did that change for your life or what changed in your life because of that? Not the same person, really. How did I change? There's so many eyes at this point, so Mm -hmm. many evolutions, reiterations of Tristan. Uh, my identity's completely shifted. There was a period where I lost my identity for a while and I didn't know who I was anymore as far as being a teacher. So I had a back injury in the year 2000 and it'll relate to your question. And I couldn't walk after the injury, a self-defense injury. And it went on for quite a while. And I was very holistic and natural and I could heal everything myself, you know, and I understood the power of the mind. I was a meditator, as you know now, but I couldn't heal. And uh, I went to the doctors and they looked at my MRIs and my x-rays and they scared the crap out of me. And because they showed me all these maladaptive things going on in my body. And um, I don't know if you've heard this saying, the diagnosis can be worse than the disease. And this is the power of the mind right here. As soon as the mind sees that evidence and believes it to be as real as anything, then it will start to 
attack you. My mind started to attack me and everything started to tighten and I stopped moving and it got worse and worse and worse. And in that process, I, I couldn't move. I couldn't teach anymore. So I lost my identity uh, of being a sensei. And that was the hardest time in my life because I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. If I'm not this guy anymore, who am I? What am I? The guy with the broken back. Mm-hmm. And so who am I today actually was birthed out of that. I was able to turn that bummer into a beautiful breakthrough, but it's on the journey of self-discovery that we hit those moments, sometimes the dark nights of the soul that really cause you to awaken to who you're meant to be. I'm sure you can relate. You had different things that showed up on the path that completely changed the course of your life. I think that probably happened to almost every coach. Oh yeah, absolutely. To every human. Something happened that caused you to look through a new lens and to want to serve in a different way. And so instead of me teaching people how to fight and punch and kick and choke and all that stuff, it's amazing. I had a new course. Um, If I can heal my body, I'll teach others to heal. And the reason I brought this story up was I was so stuck in my pain and my new identity that I couldn't get out of it. And I started to fabricate a new story. And I started to tell the story on the regular. And it kept me stuck physically in it. And it wasn't until I changed my mind, my mindset, and the way that I was looking at my condition that I got out of it. But the thing that made the biggest difference, and I think this is so huge for a coach, is I realized it wasn't about me anymore. I'm actually going to use this to serve my students. And I already knew new students were coming, new clients were coming, the ones that were stuck where I was stuck. And I'm going to fucking figure it out. And this whole new energy came from victim to I will figure this out. Mm. And that shifted the energetics of my life and other things start to show up, man. Qigong masters visiting Austin, Texas. I always used to make fun of that stuff. I was like karate guy, you know, fighter guy. And I'm like, I was never in, I was into meditation, but not like energy work. Mm-hmm. This is like the grand poobah of energy. Uh, Qigong is the grandfather of Tai Chi. But you know, the identity at that point said, try everything, stay open. Mm-hmm. So I gave it a go. And you know what? I felt energy. I felt energy between my hands. I felt a shift in my body. And I ran that thing up the flagpole. And I figured out how to heal myself. And it created a whole new path of coaching for me. So mm-hmm. who am I today? I'm a sensei who teaches internal martial arts and I help people break free of pain in their body and their mind so they can awaken their soul. That's who I am today. When you were having that dark night of the soul, when you were having that situation where identity was questioned, everything that you had prepared until then or learned until then was in doubt and question, oh, I'm, who am I, a sensei with a broken back? What was that journey of rediscovering or even discovering the identity that you must have, or the challenge of identity itself, saying, this is what I have made myself believe at this point. What was that journey like? That's a good question. And, and, the, and the reason I asked this question is because, like you said, all of us, coaches especially, definitely are more aware to when Dark Nights of the Soul is happening. But all humans have one version or another that is happening to them, for them. Yeah. And it would be interesting to kind of listen how you went around or thought about it or what was your mindset around it? What were the experiences that led you from one step to another? Hmm. I remember after I made this deal that I would help others, in that moment I was crawling on my floor at my home trying to get on the toilet and I couldn't get on the toilet. So that was the pure victim guy because I was like, I'm mean done. I've tried everything. I'm done. I'm out. But it started with a voice and I followed this voice. So the first voice that I heard was my sensei. 
And he would say, you show me a quitter, I'll show you a loser. Now that's a tough pill to swallow for some people. Like that's tough medicine. But that was sort of my nature. I kind of needed that tough love sometimes. So some of us need that. So I heard that. Now I'm having a conversation with a voice, which is your own voice, but I'll say it was my sensei's voice. And then the next voice that came was him again. And he said, there's a powerful and beautiful energy inside you. You just need to learn how to tap into it. Now he used to say that to us when we were kids, practicing karate in Malibu, California. He worked us out to exhaustion, turn out the lights. We'd lay on our backs and he'd walk around the room and he'd say that. But that got in my deep subconscious and I heard it again, laying on the floor, trying to get to the toilet. There's a beautiful, powerful energy inside. You've got to learn how to tap into it. So he didn't teach me Qigong. He didn't teach me energy work, but he did plant that seed. And so I started listening to this higher intuition, I think is what we might call it, this higher self and not the other voices. So I think it's the discernment of what voices you're listening to because there's it's, it's self-coaching at this point. So now you have to catch, you know the story of the white wolf and the black wolf? Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful Cherokee story. A young uh, boy is asking his grandfather about uh, life and the grandfather tells him, look, there are these two wolves. There's this black wolf and the white wolf. The black wolf is evil. He's nasty. He's mean. He's greedy. He's selfish. And the white wolf is beautiful and benevolent and kind and loving. And all I know is that the white wolf is going to win in this life. And the grandchild says, how do you know? How do you know which wolf will win? He said, because I'm only feeding the white wolf. Mm. I only started feeling the altruistic thoughts, the thoughts of service, of benevolence, of possibility. I started listening to other transformational breakthroughs when my fear-based mind came in and said, this is impossible. I can't get out of it. I've seen the x-rays. I've seen the MRIs. It's not possible. And all that shit comes in. And you have to incessantly keep shifting, right? It's neuroplasticity at its finest. And you go, no, white wolf, white wolf, white wolf. And you start building the new story. And then if you believe in that and you actually take action on that, you actually have new evidence that's real. And then I would write it down. Like, for example, I couldn't bend forward and stretch for the longest time. And this day I'm stretching and moving and breathing and doing Qigong and I could reach all the way to my toes. And I write it down. I start journaling everything, document the journey. Because forgettery comes in. You're like jamming. Life is amazing. And then something sideswipes you and you have forgettery. You forget that new identity that you were building because of the old. And I would open my book, my journal. I call my Buddha book. Buddha is a path of mastery. I'd open it and I'd read and I'd remember and my cells would light back up. And I kept just retelling the story. So that was how it happened. And it's still that way. Mm, because think about beautiful. this, Ajit, how many books have been written about personal development? So many, right? Nobody needs to write the book, Five Easy Steps to Destroy Your Life. Mm. Five Easy Steps to Get Into Depression. We got that, right? Mm. We need the other stuff. Yeah. Got to be incessant. Yeah. So beautiful. I love that story of the white wolf and the black wolf. It, and it's so true to some of the work that we do here as well where we talk about how you always have a choice of the thought that you're going to operate on. And you can always choose an empowered thought. That's what we call it. There's a mm. thought and then there's an empowered thought. Your default thought is always going to be the comfortable, mm. the, the default that you've always done again, again, again. And so it's just comfortable. It's safe. Yeah. And then there's the empowered thought. It will force you to change, but it will force you in a way that creates progress in your life. But also, I'm reflecting on this, and I, I don't know if this is true, so I want to ask you, is one of my beliefs is that a lot of times we guide life and a lot of times we are guided 
to live. Mm. I almost feel that in that moment when you were crawling to the toilet, you were guided by universe, intuition, your higher self, your sensei, mm. by like, retelling you the narratives that they have told you many times before. But this was the right time for universe mm. to really, like it was almost like universe was preparing you to hear it. Yeah. Because it knew at that time you yeah. needed to hear it. Do you believe in being guided by the universe? Gazillion percent. So now this conversation gets super juicy, right? Because there's an inner knowing. I see our whole journey of teaching, we call our system Satori Method. Satori is an awakening, awakening of your consciousness. I believe that you can hit this on three cylinders. There's that instinct in the body, right? We teach this in martial arts to listen to the body gut instinct, right? Oh, you could tell. There's a book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. It's an excellent book where he interviews all these different women who had undergone different assaults and he questions them to find out when did you know the attack was going to happen? And they were like, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. And the further he would investigate, they were like, well, I had this feeling and I didn't listen to it. I overwrote it, right? So I think you have that one. In Qigong, it's called the Dantian. It's the lower Dantian. It's your power center. So I think it's important for humans to develop a relationship with their breath and their power center. But then there's this inner knowing, and this is where it gets really juicy for me because all my greatest transformations, even the healing of my back, happened from hands on heart, leaning into gratitude, listening. And for me, it's not a download. It's actually an upload. And there's an inner knowing, and my heart informs my mind. And I don't even know, it's like a language I'm learning how to read, but it's like, there's a knowing and it's a feeling. It's a feeling of everything's okay, all is well. And that energy starts to up into the brain. You start going to the brain heart coherence. And now your brain knows stuff. Call it intuition. I feel like intuition takes place here. and Some people call them downloads. I got an idea. Our friend Joe Vitale goes, these, these downloads happen. They drop ideas on people. Who's listening? So I think if you can activate actually these three areas within you got this very powerful internal system to know stuff. Mm. And that's where life gets super magical. So I'm 100% in alignment with that inner awakening and guidance. Have you ever cared to ponder how to develop that in the awakening? Every day. Any insights, any cliff notes for our Lots. listeners today? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> okay, here's my go-to. So for the longest time, my journey was personal development through the mind. And then it was through meditation, clearing my mind and getting into a receptive state. And that's still super important. But what I didn't know about physical movement was the right types of physical movement were actually opening me up so I could receive more information. So your human body is an instrument. And I, I think of it like a listening device, sort of like your ear. Inside your ear, you have the eardrum, which is a transducer. It takes frequencies from outside and it translates them so that your brain can turn them into language. And you're learning to turn those sounds into language that you can process and think. What if your human body was a transducer? And it is. You have a complete energy system, auric fields, things like this, and you can actually train the instrument to listen more. This whole universe, to me, energy is information. It's data. And it's the quality of your receiver that you can listen, just like tuning a uh, radio. And you have different channels you can listen into. There's some pretty divine channels that we could tune into. So I say through the body. And the best way for me to tune the body is through the tissue. So a lot of people say, right, like my thoughts are in my head, but thoughts go into the body. Thoughts become feelings. Feelings get embodied in the cellular level. 
So your mind is also in your body. It's embedded. So it's, it's body, mind, mind, body. It's, it's one. So if there's a mind in my body as well, what if I have these thoughts and feelings that are trapped in my tissues? Some people say issues are in the tissues. <laughs> what if I could free that up and free my instrument more and I'd be a better transducer and listener? Now I'm calibrating the energy in a whole other level. So when it comes to awakening, that's really my go-to. And that's the beauty of Qigong is it opens the instrument. Now you're in a whole other level of listening. And this is where you start to notice things. A martial artist does that with his or her awareness of surroundings, but this is more internal. It's not just external. Now you go inside and you can feel things. So energy starts to flow and move. And once the energy gets free from the yogic tradition, I think we understand that energy wants to rise. Mm -hmm. And as energy rises, you have higher and higher degrees of awareness or consciousness. But in a lot of humans, the energy gets trapped in the lower gates, the lower centers. Mm -hmm. And if you open the channels and then you learn how to actually activate through proper breathing and exercises the energy, now that the body temple is open and you're relieving and releasing some of the fear that's been in the tissue, I think what happens is the heart opens. See, if you were a heart and you had all this fear going on in your body, would you want to open the door and let that in? No, I wouldn't. Not if energy wants to rise. So the heart keeps stuff locked down. So if you can start to nourish and heal your physical body, I think your heart opens up and the energy rises and you start to have, in the Qigong world, they call it Shen, it's your inner glow. And this mm -hmm. inner glow, and some systems call it your charisma, is where the light is coming out. And you see mm -hmm. certain people, what is it? You're like, they're so heart-centered. They're so beautiful. Now, here's one tip for a coach. Some of us have naturally figured out how to open our heart centers and we became givers and helpers. It's our instinct. And now we go into the mode of giving and serving and sharing, but we forget to keep filling up our own lower power center and we start to deplete our life force energy through just over-serving. Mm -hmm. And if you take a yin and yang symbol and you go too far to one direction or the other, it flips. So you can go to strong and you go too strong, you become weak. You go into softness, you go too soft, you become passive aggressive. Mm. If you don't take care of your own power, you'll start to get into a place of resentment and shutdown. Happens with parents. Mm. So it's super important for self-care and take care of yourself and really take care of that power. But to me, that's the key to open the hardest through the body. What is Qigong as a practice? Is it a practice of inner energy? Is it a practice of martial arts, what is Qigong like really? Like what's the focus? If you were to describe it, how you would describe it? It's a moving meditation. It's much like Tai Chi. We see people in the park doing Tai Chi. That's mm -hmm. a version of a martial art, but it's done for health and longevity purposes. Qigong is the grandfather of the, that art. So it is a moving meditation energy system. We used the term irrigation earlier and feng shui. It's like you being able to open up all the irrigation systems within your body, but through your physical body. So you have two bodies. In Satori Method, we talk about conscious mind and subconscious mind. We talk about physical body, but also energy body. Most people are aware of their conscious mind and their physical body. Now, coaches are very aware of the subconscious mind and the running mm -hmm. patterns, but not every human. Mainstream, not so much. Very few people aware of energy body. You are through your lifestyle practice. So this is really the study of your energy system. Mm -hmm. So there are channels within the body, the acupuncturists call meridian lines, and they mm -hmm. get disrupted or blocked. So the movements are designed to help release and free up the tissue 
And the tissue, known as fascia, connective tissue throughout the whole body, fascia gets tight and the meridian lines run through the fascial tissue. Mm. So when you free up the tissue, you actually open the energy lines. And when mm. you clear blockages in your energy system, it affects your mood and your emotions. There's a saying in energy psychology, the root cause of all negative emotion is a disruption in your body's energy system. So that school of thought is if you can balance your energy system, get it flowing, your mood and your energy will rise and your emotions will upregulate. How complicated is to learn Qigong if you were to Easiest work thing. with someone? So easy. Yeah. Okay. So it's a couple of things, right? So when I first was learning, it was super esoteric mm-hmm. because these are shrouded in secrecy for thousands of years, five, six thousand years old through, you know, grandfather to father to son. And like, they kept that stuff locked down. It's not like that way anymore. The world is completely open. But some of the more ancient systems can be complicated and they're using metaphors and ways in which you teach or not even speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to China, your, your, your Qigong teacher might only show you and never talk to you. <laughs> mm. So that's that. And then in our culture, maybe people are like, I'm not sure if I want to try that. It sounds super woo-woo. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing is that these teachers, these artists, they were natural scientists of the body. They already understood things. How did they map out this whole energy matrix? When you look at the fascial planes, the way tissue flows through the body, the connective tissue, you start to see a parallel between those planes and the meridian lines. How did these ancients already know neurobiology? <laughs> How did they know this neuroscience? We didn't use those words, but that's really what it is. So in order to teach Qigong to somebody, the reason I said all of that is if you can explain it in a way that makes sense and they can really get it on a scientific level, it's actually not that hard to learn. Because of our love for science, because of our love for certainty, Mm. because we want to be certain as human beings, everything, like pretty much like we want certainty as much as possible, as much as if somebody could love uncertainty in experiences or uncertainty in uh, surprises. We really like certainty. We <laughs> want to be, we only like uncertainty once we are certain. Uh, <laughs> what time is the surprise party? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> what time is the surprise party? It's a great way to explain it. And so I think there was at a point in, I think I was trying to find when is it when that we fell in love so much with science that we forgot about the essence of science, which is the discovery. Like, we love so much the pragmatism and the certainty of science that we forgot that science was developed so we can create some certainty in our life. But the essence of science is to discover what we can discover. Mm. It understands that most things are undiscovered still. And it's true even today. We understand a lot of things and we don't understand a lot of things. Probably 80% we don't understand. We have an idea about it, but we don't understand it. Like we know how things work, but we don't sometimes even understand why those things work the way they work, Yeah. right? So it's kind of like this interesting place that we've gotten to for our love of science that we've forgotten that there's so much of knowing that we have, like Qigong Master 4,000 years ago, understood that they have fascia and energetic systems and, you know, like our body moves in a particular way, needs to be open in a particular way, which there is no reason for them to know because there was no science to prove it. Now we can go, oh, science can prove this too. <laughs> yeah that we have forgotten there is greater than science yeah. stuff that is around us. If you would just be a little bit open, a little totally. bit more interested in saying, what is this connectedness of all of us together? This one universal mind that we all sit mm. in and, and live in. Mm. What does that present? Mm. What is it that is available to us if we were willing to lean into what we don't fully understand yet? True. Because it's a yet. 
It's not necessarily that we'll never understand it. It's just right now we don't have an explanation. We don't have technology. Mm-hmm. We don't have the understanding. We don't have access to things that would help us really understand. Why would Qigong just open you up like that? Yeah. Right. Or will heal you while medical science says, oh, no way, Jose, your back's healing. Yeah. Anytime in the next 10 years and three months later, you're like, no, I'm back on my feet. I use Qigong. You're like, what? Say what? What? <laughs> you were just doing some motions with your hands and yeah, you healed. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't like, doesn't, I don't believe you. I agree. Right. So yeah. it's so interesting that you bring about, it was 4,000 years ago. We knew this. They knew stuff. And then we forgot. I tell my students that don't let your science squash your spirituality. You know, allow that room for that. And the science we have today is going to get upgraded anyway, right? Yeah. It's always a constant movement. Yeah, science is to discover. Yeah. Science is not to know. Yeah. The, the curiosity <laughs> of discovery is what makes a great scientist. And I'm not saying that. I've heard scientists say that. It's like, if you want to be a great scientist, you know that you don't know. When you look at a really all-in scientist, you're going to see a mystic. Mm. Look at an Einstein. Look yeah. at their, their eyes, right? Yeah. They have this quality of like, I don't know. I know, but I don't know. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. I want to find out. I want to make sense of this, but I know I can't really make sense of everything. They're just awe. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's so (laughs) true. Tristan, what do you think we need as a society, as coaches, but also as society to lean into that discovery of, or to get back into that stage of saying, you know, it's okay to not know. We don't have to like be so certain about everything. We need some faith. We need to trust that there's uh, something bigger than us. There's a universal mind. There's a creative intelligence. There's a divinity. There's something that's breathing you and I right now. What is that? We should just ponder that. (laughs) What is the essence behind my breath? How can I get a little more humble today? How can I be a little more grateful today for another day? I think it's simpler than just knowledge. It's sitting in your still moment of knowing. That's what we need. We need to remember who we are and where we came from. You took a dip in the divine and here you are in your beautiful body. You think this is the first time? I'm not going to go down that path, but you know, there's something breathing me and I'm humbled by it. We need to get simple and have a little faith that there's something taking care of you. There is this beautiful poem called Footprints. I'm sure you've seen it, heard it, read it. So a man, a woman walking on the beach with the divine, God's holding their hand and they're walking. There's two sets of footprints. And there comes this one point, they're looking at the reflection of their life up until this point, And they see there's only one set of footprints and it's during the hardest time in their life. The time when they were really down, the dark night of my soul. And they're having a conversation with God. Why was it during my hardest time? You left my side. Oh, that's what gets me. And the divine says, oh, my child, the moment where you only saw the one set of footsteps is when I was carrying you, right? We are being carried all the time. It's a co-creation, but we're being freaking carried mm. through this divine life. So, yeah. Beautiful. We need. Beautiful. How does one develop faith or more faith? Getting your ass handed to you a bunch of times. <laughs> right? Like coming up against your own egoic fear-based self and not being able to go any further with that skill set. Mm. That's a strategy. I'm doing it myself. That was my strategy. I'll do it. I'll figure it out. I'm a sensei. 
getting my ass handed to me, getting humbled by the divine. That's really what opened the door to faith. And I had to. I got to that lowest point that I had to. The only way was up. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go any lower. I was contemplating my exit strategy. Mm-hmm. So I think count your blessings inside of those drama moments. You know, I use everything as training. So in martial arts, if you want to be a better fighter, you got to fight someone better than you. You want to be a better wrestler, you need to wrestle with somebody better than you. Then you're going to upgrade. I think contrast is your friend. I think fear is love in disguise. I think pain is love in disguise. It's just trying to get your attention. Hey, we're out of alignment here. Listen up, buddy. And we keep going. We cut that wire under the dashboard with the red lights coming on. Check the engine oil. I don't have time. Cut, cut. Mm-hmm. You know, like not that pain was there. It's designed. It's love. It's a recalibration, a reframing of what's going on in your life. Turn your bummer into a breakthrough. Turn your bummer into a badass, beautiful coaching business. Mm-hmm. Go and serve more people through the hardcore lessons you've had. That's going to make you the best coach mm-hmm. is the tough stuff, man. Because you, now you have true compassion. My heart's cracked open, man. I see my students, my clients. I actually, I'm there with, I hold space with them, but I feel them. I know what that's like. And they know that I know. Mm. It's all been, it's all been for this opportunity to serve every little bit of it. I think one of the beauties of what you said is also to, to kind of look back at your life and go, wow, I have survived all of this. Somebody was carrying me through, <laughs> right? There was, it was, yeah, you could say, yeah, I was smart. I was intelligent. I was courageous. I was this, I was that. But it was more than that. And we all have had some kind of life where someone was carrying us or something was carrying us. And you could call it psychological, you could call it spiritual, but there was something, something that you don't fully understand, mm-hmm. something that was greater than. And mm-hmm. if you would if you would just invite yourself to say, hey, you made through all of that, maybe you'll have a little bit more faith. Tristan, it's been a pleasure talking to you. What is it that you would like to leave this audience, these listeners with? And is there any way they can find more about you, um, follow you, or connect with you? Coaching is love. Coaching is love. Coaching is this skill that we develop as humans to help others achieve their full potential from a place of love. That's what I'm living. I created a purpose statement for my life and it's also for my coaching. It's for everything I do. And for me, for Tristan, and and I share this with our community and, and a lot have adopted it. They love it. The purpose of my life or the purpose of my coaching is to fully awaken to the vibration of unconditional love. And then each and every day shape that love into vibrant health, conscious wealth, so we can serve beautiful relationships and this spiritual wisdom that guides us on our path of service. That's what I would leave with us. Awaken to whatever that love is for you and go for the unconditional stuff. Yeah, that's that's where the real mm, mastery lies. So our method is Satori Method, S-A-T-O-R-I Method.com. And you can find a lot about Tristan and Sabrina. We go by Tristbrina. And uh, that's where we hang out. Okay, cool. Satori Method.com. We'll link it up below the podcast episode as well for everybody to find you and follow you and continue to learn from you. Thank you very much for taking the time.